God is so good. I, uh, I've, I've hope you've enjoyed uh, this sermon series, Base Camp. Um, we have looked at through Base Camp first week talking about who's in your camp. And you remember we put the picture up of the actual uh, tabernacle and how the camp was laid out with the tent for Moses and for Aaron and then the tribes around it with the tabernacle in the middle and the importance of who's in your camp, right? Just like, you know, for those who maybe have served in the military of red history, who's in the foxhole with you matters. And the fact that, that we are together getting to serve in uh, this camp together uh, is no coincidence. Each of us brings a different talent, skill, temperament, uh, personality, all of that, which just fits together when we put God in the middle of it. Just like with the tabernacle being in the middle of their camp, there's a reason why we put God in the middle of that. God just kind of meshes us all together and where I'm lacking, you aren't. And it just fits. Then we, then we moved on and we talked about uh, sin in the camp. And you remember uh, one of the Israelites took gold uh, and then buried it, uh, even though God, after the defeat of Jericho, God told them, don't take anything. But this one Israelite did and hit it and disobeyed God, right? Because the whole point of that was to show them you don't need that. You have me, right? You have God. You don't need that stuff. I will provide for you. Trust me. And for whatever reason... He coveted it, coveted the gold and the different things, and he took them and buried them, and there was sin in the camp. And because of that, the next battle that they came up against, well, they lost. And how we must hold each other accountable, how we must work through difficult things together. And if one of us has fallen away or to the side that you and I should love in love should help restore them back. Last week, we talked about the fact that base camp is not home. So often we get comfortable in the walls of the church. And if you remember, I said, this building isn't a fortress. It's a citadel. And what I mean by that is a fortress was built for defense. That we can stay in and hunker down. And if the enemy comes to attack us, well, we're, we're safe behind the walls. That's not what any church is. Church is a citadel where you and I, and we're going to elaborate on more of this today, as you can see what's up there. A citadel is created for training so that you and I go outside the walls. Because base camp isn't home. We must go out to the world that needs hope. Look around. Look in the news. Look and see we're in a world that is suffering. It's not changed. It's been suffering a long time. And you and I have a message of hope. And you and I coming into the Christmas season really have a message of hope. May we be unafraid to try and share that hope with others. And today we want to look at specifically base camp is 
training. Again, we are a citadel. That is what this is. We come in and we train not for the benefit of one another, although it does benefit one another, but also the benefit of those who aren't in here right now. I want to read a, a passage of scripture for you, Joshua chapter 5. If you want to open up to that part of scripture, Joshua chapter 5, starting with the first verse. Uh, and if you're squeamish, just hang on. It's going to be a little rough for a minute, but that's okay. Uh, we'll be okay. Joshua 5, first verse, starts with this. Now, when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until they had crossed over, their hearts melted in fear and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. All right, let's stop there. This has nothing to do with the sermon today except for, do you see here the power of God? This is before Jericho, right? We all know the battle of Jericho where they marched around seven days and on the seventh day, they marched around seven times. And, you know, I only saw the band up there, uh, but a band essentially ripped the walls down. I mean, obviously God was a big part of that. But they played their horns and they shouted and the walls of Jericho came tumbling down and they took the city. This is before that, right before that, where the Israelites come up to a river. Uh, how are we going to cross this? 40 years previous, you remember, Moses parting the Red Sea. God saying, no, just, it'll part, go. And, they, and it parts and they go. Now, here's what's amazing about that. One, God's amazing. He does these things. And the Israelites, in faith, walk out. Because right? even if you go back and you read it, they had to start walking while their feet were getting wet. So they had to trust that it was going to part as they're walking. <laughs> but more than that, these kings, who aren't a part of God's chosen people, the Amorite kings of the West, the Canaanite kings along the coast heard about this crazy thing where this river parted and hundreds of thousands of people crossed it. And they were scared. They were terrified. Now, what? I wonder, in your own life, when God does something miraculous, do other people hear about it? Do you share that good news with them? Because here's these kings already know what's coming. They've heard the miracles of God. Now they're in fear because they stand in opposition to God. Verse 2. At that time, the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, Joshua, make flint lives. This is where it gets a little squeamish. Hang in there. Flint, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. Okay. <laughs> so Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Jebeth Haraloth. Now, stop there for a moment. There's a couple of things. One, when it says again, it doesn't mean like the people that were circumcised before were going to circumcise the second time. What it means by that is 40 years has passed. Two generations of Israelites have been born. 
and grew up in the wilderness and have not been circumcised yet. Can you imagine being 40? I turned 40 in a month. Can you imagine being 40 and being circumcised at 40? Oh. Now, that's the first thing. Second thing, flint knife. It's a flint knife. What is that? It's a rock, right? Why a flint knife? It's actually the sharpest thing in nature. When you break it, it leaves these sharp edges. One. Two, do you know God's a scientist? Did you know that? Two, no microbes can grow on it. Meaning, you can't get an infection from a flint knife. It's almost like God knows what he's talking about. You know, because sometimes, right, we, when God gives us some details, we're like, well, that's weird. Why that? And this is, understand, now we know because we have microscopes. This was thousands of years ago. They didn't have microscopes. They didn't know what microbes were. But God did. At that time, all right, verse 4. Now this is why he did so. All those who came out of Egypt, all the men of military age, died in the wilderness on the way after leaving Egypt. All the people that came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness during the journey from Egypt had not. The Israelites had, until all the men who were of military age when they left Egypt had died, uh, since they had not obeyed the Lord. Huh. Let's pause there for a moment. 40 get them circumcised because they disobeyed. They weren't obeying. You see, there wasn't like God didn't say, okay, we'll pause while you're in the wilderness. That didn't happen. They just decided, yeah, we're not going to do that. They disobeyed. The Israelites had moved about in the wilderness 40 years until all the men who were military age when they left Egypt had died. Since they had not obeyed the Lord, for the Lord had sworn to them that they would not see the land. He had solemnly promised their ancestors to give us a land flowing with milk and honey. So he raised up their sons in their place. And these were the ones Joshua circumcised. They were still uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. And after the whole nation had been circumcised, this is like, how many times can we say that word? They remained where they were in camp until they were healed. I mean, you don't want to go fight a war after, you know. Then the Lord said to Joshua, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the place has been called Gilgal to this day. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after. They ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate the produce of Canaan. For 40 years... God had provided for them with manna and quail. 
They celebrate the Passover and live off the land as God designed it to. And God said, okay, well, you don't need that anymore. Sometimes in life, when God removes something from us, we think, well, what did I do to deserve that? And maybe you didn't do anything. Maybe it's just God saying, hey, you have what you need around you. Let me pull this away. You don't need that anymore. That was now a, maybe a crutch that you don't need. Now, the whole point of all that, all of that pain, training is painful. Training is difficult. It's not easy. It's not for the faint of heart. There's a reason why in the Salvation Army we use the term army. We use soldier. We talk about when we tithe, it isn't just tithing, it's called firing a cartridge. When we die, we don't die, we receive a promotion. Blood and fire is emblazoned on our flag, and out of context, that would be terrifying. In context, we know it is the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us, and the fire of the Holy Spirit that purifies us, and that is is painful. Fire burns. Sometimes we think being a Christian is easy. Oh, it's all love and all that. And, and oh, God doesn't hold, you know, me accountable because God, you know, doesn't, you know, this, it's okay. God won't send anyone to hell. And I'm not standing here telling you that God is looking to send us to hell. That's not it. But what I'm saying to you is get, don't be deceived. Being a believer in Christ can cost you a lot. But what you gain in the end, whether it's on this life or the next, is way greater than what you or me may lose. And what I give up so that others may know Christ is minuscule to the fact that you may know Jesus. You may receive salvation. I will suffer if that means you will know Christ. Hebrews 12, 10 and 11. Our fathers disciplined us for a short time as they thought best, but God disciplined us for our good so that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Three of my four kids are in the room right now. And they will tell you, I do discipline them. And I do it because I love them. How much more a holy God when he disciplines me is for my good. Think of an athlete who works so that their body is ready for 
competition. Think of a musician who practices over and over and over again. Think of a soldier in training. You want to be good at something, train for it. Be not afraid. Because part of what we are here for is for you to be trained up in the way you should go. So that you may live a life of holiness. And also, and I know, like I know this is difficult. Because we don't all have this gift. But we also don't get to say, I don't have this gift. I'm not going to do it. Because there's a commandment from God himself, from Christ, saying, go and make disciples. Part of it is being trained on how to evangelize. But, but Major, I'm not good at that. It doesn't matter. Moses was not a very good speaker. And he led thousands and thousands and thousands. Was the mouthpiece of God and he stuttered. Read scripture over and over again. There are examples of people that just weren't good enough. That's the point. If you're good enough, what, where does God fit into that? Wow. <laughs> Training is painful. Second thing, trust the trainer. I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about our divine trainer. Trust the trainer. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my, your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God is so far beyond us. We think we understand, and we do have some idea of an understanding, but we cannot fully understand. Sometimes what he asks is beyond our understanding. God, you want me to take this rock and do what? Trust anyway. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. You know this one. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Why? Because your own understanding is finite. God's understanding is infinite. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. Proverbs 9.10 says this, Those who know your name trust in you, for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Hebrews 14. Or Hebrews 4, 11 to 14 says this. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching and righteousness about righteousness, but solid food is for the mature who, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. May that passage of scripture not be about you or me. May we not have to continually go back to go back and go back to the milk when God is saying, no, grow, 
in me. Become spiritually mature. Stop going back. I, I, I do this every once in a while. Uh, and it is kind of a joke. But someone will say, can I ask you a question? And I'll say, well, Jesus is the answer. As a joke. Because that's the Sunday school answer we give. Well, Jesus. Okay, well, let's go a little deeper than that, guys. Let's go deeper. May we trust the trainer. Training is painful. Let's trust the trainer because we must be equipped. We must be equipped for life, for battle, when things are great and when things aren't. We must be equipped. Some of the most amazing testimonies I've ever seen is people who were equipped going through great times and terrible times and still equipped for it still pushing hope and joy not because but because it was genuine because of god's loving care for them and their relationship with christ what was read earlier second timothy 3 16 and 17 all scripture all of it 66 books in the Old and New Testament. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Are you reading scripture? And not just like thumbing through it and no, no, digesting it. Are you taking time to read and say, well, what does that mean? How does that affect me? Because sometimes we read this book and think, oh, it was written hundreds and thousands of years ago. What does this have to do with me? But I am telling you, as you know, every time. I stand up and preach or give a Bible study on Thursday night. It's always turned back to how does this affect you and me? Because it does. It isn't just a pretty book. And it is. The poetry in it is beautiful. The way some of the writers like David and Paul write. It's amazing. It paints a picture that looks like that. Or for me, who loves history, and you go back and you read Leviticus and Deuteronomy and the First and Second Chronicles and First and Second Chronicles, history books are amazing. It's not just that. It is the living, breathing Word of God. This isn't some no a novel that you just pick up and consume. Oh, that was nice. All Scripture. Yes, even Leviticus and Deuteronomy. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful. You want to know what God wants for you. You want to be trained up in the way that God would have you move forward. You can't without reading this. And it's not enough for when you come here and I read it to you or someone else. No, no, you need to be reading this every day.
Christianity isn't, you know, it's a relationship. It's not a, it's not about a religion. It's about a relationship. And you cannot live that relationship out vicariously through someone else. Our training now is not just for the sake of it either, but that so we may be equipped. Isn't training just for training's sake? It's so that you may be prepared for whatever comes next. What's going to come next? I don't know. God does. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. May you and I use those moments where we might be tempted as training moments. God providing a way out so that we may endure it. Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Part of training isn't just about reading Scripture. It isn't just about prayer. But it's about what we talked about two weeks ago where you and I are also training one another. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. You and I, filled with the Holy Spirit, may you and I restore each other gently. This isn't about authority. This isn't about being right or wrong. So often when we catch one another doing things inappropriate like oh we either one shy away from it and say i that's that's an awkward strange conversation i don't want to have or two we relish in it and maybe we lean in a little too hard and i am telling you be brave be compassionate May we gently restore one another. So it's not about me being right or you being wrong or me being wrong and you being right. It's not about any of that at all. It's about you and I bringing glory to God the Father. And they will know that we are his by our love for one another. Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. What do you think the cross was that Christ carried? It's my burden. And he carried it all the way. And then they hung him on it. For me. May we bear with each other bear each other's burdens. The world dismisses the value of human life and overlooks 
people. Let us not be like that. All are created in God's image and have a divine spark in them. And you and I are part of showing the world that doesn't see that in one another, that it's there. May we be equipped. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27 says this. Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way as to take the prize. Everyone who competes in the games trains with strict discipline. They do it for a crown that is perishable, but we do it for a crown that is imperishable. Therefore, I do not run aimlessly. I do not fight like I am beating the air. No, I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. I think... I think it can be easy to get very comfortable with our relationship with Christ and with one another. I think it, it's, it's a very tempting, easy thing to do. And I think Satan knows, for those of us who are grafted into Christ, I think it's harder for him to pry us away from that than it is to convince us that, hey, it's okay, take it easy. You've made it. And please don't misunderstand. I'm not saying you're in risk of losing your salvation. But what I am saying to you is continue to train, continue to work on, because God has even more. For those of you who have been Christians forever, and those of you who have just recently become that, I am telling you there is still more. Go deeper. Don't get comfortable. God has more for you. And more and more and more. 15, 20 years ago, when I said yes to God's calling on my life, I never would have imagined I'd be standing here. And yet, God has prepared and moves in a way to equip me for what he asks of me. Don't get comfortable. Continue to train. Continue to work. Continue to allow the Holy Spirit to soften your heart and sharpen your mind. This morning, as the music plays, don't you come to the altar. I'm going to say this all the time. We open up the altar here, but it's never closed. You can come whenever you want. One of the best parts about working here and my office being back there is every once in a while I'll walk by here and the doors are open and someone is down here praying at the altar Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. They're down praying at the altar. And so I'll stop and say a prayer over them and every once in a while they'll look up and see me and invite me down. There's nothing magical about this place. This, this, God doesn't live in these cushions. I know that's crazy, but he doesn't. But there is something about 
a posture of kneeling before God. There's something about that that puts our hearts, our mind in a place of, of communion with God. So this morning, let us be intentional. Won't you come to the altar and receive more? Because God, even for those of us who have been Christians a long time, God isn't nearly done with us. Won't you come?